What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Robert Matarazzi is the CEO of Luca, which bridges the gap between the complexities of blockchain data and traditional business needs. Formerly, he was the director at PwC, specializing in large risk, regulatory, and cybersecurity-driven technology implementations for traditional financial institutions and foreign banking organizations. In this conversation, we discuss the importance of creating industry standards, how crypto is transitioning from innovation labs to business units, and why Luca is winning so many customers. I really enjoyed this conversation with Robert, and I hope you do as well. But before we get into this episode, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors, Pay attention. Sponsor time. First up is Masterworks. The Fed is committed to keeping interest rates low for the foreseeable future. That means that bond yields already at record lows will continue to stay near 0%. And with the stock market trading at record highs, sophisticated investors are taking some chips off the table. So where should you put your hard-earned wealth? Well, according to a new report from City Private Bank, contemporary art is returning 13.6% per year over the last 25 years. You can compare that to 8.9% per year for the S&P 500. So over the same time, contemporary art also has had a lower loss ratio than gold with almost no core relation to the stock market. Masterworks.io, my friends at Masterworks, Masterworks.io is the first and only platform that lets you invest in blue chip art from artists like Monet and Basquet. I don't know how to pronounce it, so we're going to keep doing this. Masterworks.io, you can get Monet's and Basquets. Recently, Masterworks.io sold their first Banksy masterpiece for a 32% return net of fees to investors. That's pretty good. And if you're looking to diversify a part of your portfolio into a hard money alternative asset, bang, bang, hard money alternative asset, check out masterworks.io. And if you're smart, you will go to masterworks.io. You'll use promo code POMP, P-O-M-P, to skip their 15,000 person wait list. Again, that's masterworks.io using promo code POMP. You can go buy Monet's, Basquets, Banksy's. Maybe I'll even throw some art in there one day, but masterworks.io, use promo code POMP, and you can skip the entire wait list. Next up is Exodus. Again, pay attention here. Exodus is one of the most popular cryptocurrency wallets and has been around since 2015. It's supported on both desktop and mobile, allowing you to sync your wallet across multiple devices so you can have access to your funds anywhere. You can instantly exchange around 100 different cryptocurrencies. Interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset or your portfolio's performance over time. And maybe the best part, Exodus is integrated with Treasure Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Go visit exodus.io for your free download or search Exodus on the App Store or Play Store. You're probably asking, how do you spell Exodus? Well, dummies, it's E-X-O-D-U-S, E-X-O-D-U-S. I used to be a dummy, but I'm not anymore because I know how to spell Exodus, E-X-O-D-U-S. Go check out Exodus, one of the most popular cryptocurrency wallets in the world, E-X-O-D-U-S. Let's do it. Next up is Crypto.com. They're an all-in-one platform that allows you to buy, sell, store, earn, loan, or invest crypto all from one place. You can join over 1 million users currently using the Crypto.com app. You can download and earn $50 US using my code POMP2020. Head on over to Crypto.com. Not only do they have a great URL, Crypto.com, how do you beat that? But also the place where mass adoption is happening. Go to the all-in-one platform that allows you to buy, sell, store, earn, loan, or invest crypto all from a single place, crypto.com. All right, last one. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. DraftKings. Maybe you heard of them. DraftKings. 
pigskin fans, that's football fans for any of you that don't know what a pigskin is, the moment you've been waiting for all season is right around the corner. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. I told you to pay attention. If you fast forwarded, you're missing out on $55 million in prizes. So all you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. That's right, a million bucks. You listen to the podcast, I tell you where to go find a million bucks. So download the app now, enter the free prediction challenge. You can answer questions like who will score last and boom, get ready to make it rain. They spelled rain wrong on this, but that's fine. It's rain. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to his players since 2012. So they know a thing or two about big paydays. So go download the DraftKings app now and use promo code POMP to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. That's right. They're giving away $55 million. I have no clue how they'll make money on it, but go download the DraftKings app now and use code POMP get your shot at winning some of the $55 million are given away. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So if you play, it's like a participation trophy. You get something, go play. So use promo code POMP now and enter the $55 million Super Bowl challenge only at DraftKings, the only daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. Go see DraftKings.com for all those details. All right, that was a lot. Make sure you go to Masterworks, Exodus, Crypto.com, and DraftKings. Let's get into this episode with Robert. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Robert here with me. Thank you so much for doing this, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Yeah, happy new year to you as well. Let's just jump right into your background. Uh, you spent some time in the military, uh, then worked at PwC, but where'd you grow up? How did you get to the military? And then why go uh, to PwC afterwards? Sure, great, great question. I, uh, I grew up moving around a lot. My dad was in the hotel industry, so lived in, lived in Europe. Um, so not a military brat, but pretty, pretty comparable. Um, I, I joined the military very, uh, not randomly, but um, spontaneously, uh, following 9-11. So I was in college during 9-11. So that, that caused me to go into the Marine Corps. Um, and they needed pilots. So, so I was a helicopter pilot there for nine years. And then, uh, and then left, joined PwC. Um, they were kicking off a big military hiring initiative. And, uh, and that was really uh, what exposed me to, to a lot of the more traditional financial services side of things. So I worked in their banking capital markets group. Um, and a lot of the post-financial crisis regulations, a big focus on large-scale technology implementations and risk management or other regulatory compliance initiatives. Uh, and, then, uh, and then was introduced to Luca through a mutual, mutual friend um, and uh, hadn't worked heavily in crypto. I was familiar. I'd read the Bitcoin white paper, I'd, you know, bought a tiny amount, wish I'd bought more. And, uh, and then... Uh, um, 
started off at, at Luca a little over two years ago now, um, formerly called, called Libra. We changed the name um, a few months into to me joining. And they were creating institutional grade software and building data products that made that helps to make the software function. And and that was very, very appealing to me in a rapidly growing industry. It was something that I knew the industry or I thought would get to eventually, uh, which is one of the things uh, I think we're going to talk about today is as as mainstream is is adopting all of this. So at Luca, we build institutional grade software and data products to support middle and back office operations. Got it. And so I know you're not the founder of the business, but uh, you lead it today. Help us understand kind of the impetus for uh, the company's creation and kind of what the original idea was and then how it, uh, if at all, it's evolved to where you are today. Sure. So, so Jake Benson was my, my predecessor and, and, and founder. Um, he's still um, involved uh, with Luca. Um, and, uh, he created the first Bitcoin tax calculator back in 2014. Um, we kind of joked around that he was the only person trying to pay his capital gains on his Bitcoin investments back then. Um, and, uh, and really, you know, he discovered very, very quickly through a lot of conversations that the right use case there wasn't just a Bitcoin tax calculator, but it was a cryptocurrency tax calculator because there was a lot of innovation going on. Um, and, uh, and new assets being created on blockchains. And then uh, around 2017, company pivoted towards institutions. It was a lot of the funds had now been created by that time. And fund admins, some of the smaller fund admins were starting to take on crypto fund clients. And so we built the first version of our software. We're now on the third generation. Uh, built the first version of the institutional grade software with standards like AICPA SOC controls in mind as we were building it uh, so that we could support the, the businesses that were uh, forming around the crypto ecosystem. Got it. And as you started to uh, kind of get into these institutions, uh, what are some of the major themes that you're seeing, right? So the idea of building software at an institutional grade for kind of middle and back office, uh, to many people would seem unsexy uh, and frankly, they don't understand it. So kind of when you go into a corporation or an organization, like what, what is the conversation like? What, what are the themes you're seeing? Um, and kind of maybe how does that sentiment shift even over the last year or so as you've been a uh, uh, CEO? So it's, it's all about the data um, at, at, to, to start. So if we're working for a customer and we're, we're trying to figure out whether it's, you know, creating whatever type of report they need. So if it's a fund, they're trying to strike NAV or they're, their fund admin is trying to, to strike net asset value reports. We'll, we'll come in first and collect that customer's data from the ecosystem. Um, people that know the ecosystem know that it, it comes from a lot more places than, than traditional um, uh, funds. And so, and that's, that's one of the great things about crypto and the innovation that's going on. And they're trading and exchanging these assets in new ways. But that creates a lot of uh, downstream challenges for the middle and back office operations. Um, first, just collecting all the data. Second, trying to you know make sure Bitcoin is Bitcoin. You you look at Kraken calls Bitcoin XBT, and uh, and Coinbase BTC, two of the largest exchanges in the U.S. for the most commonly traded assets. So when you get to you know the other seven thousand plus assets that that funds are trading on today, it gets much more complex. Um, and then we fill in things like cost basis proceeds. So anything that requires fair market value with the pricing data source that our customers want. We let them choose from a number of them. 
um, including uh, our fair market value or proprietary fair market value pricing product called Luca Prime. And, uh, and then ultimately, we apply a bunch of reconciliation steps and techniques to make sure their data is accurate and complete so that we can create a crypto subledger effectively. Uh, and then from there, we can do the things that usually the customers are calling us up to do, which is any of the reporting processes, helping them pass an audit, um, tax reporting, financial statements, ledger entries, all the traditional financial requirements um, that usually people take for granted when they start uh, putting putting crypto assets into their businesses. Got it. One of the things that's been really interesting to me is you, you just highlighted this uh, kind of very elementary problem of just, hey, if two different exchanges call the same asset, two different names, then that can cause confusion. But also there's some much more nuanced uh, challenges. So uh, one, for example, is an expanding balance sheet potential, right? So if I hold Bitcoin on my balance sheet and all of a sudden it's expanding uh, in kind of US dollar value and I report in US dollar terms, where does that go uh, in my financial statements or my financial reporting? Another is uh, actually denominating revenue when it comes to crypto. So rather than denominating the revenue in dollars and saying, hey, I made $10,000, I may say I made you know a third of a Bitcoin. And so how does that kind of affect a lot of this uh, these accounting standards? How much of that today uh, across all of those different issues are you know, still complex obstacles that people need to navigate versus, no, we're getting to the point where there's like some pretty good standards here and uh, you feel pretty comfortable that like co- mm-hmm. corporations moving forward, whether in the public or private markets are going to have like a, a nice foundation to stand on and everyone kind of agrees on what, what that treatment and, and rules are. So absolutely, like you pointed out, we have to apply some new techniques to some of those situations to do some of the very common things like establish ordinary short-term income versus capital gains or whatnot. I think that, you know, I'd say roughly 90% of that was figured out before DeFi. Um, you know, once once we get into that, and that's one of the exciting things is it's the next thing for everybody to figure out, and it's 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 causing a lot of innovation. But when it comes to the very basic things, which are the what what the majority of the portfolios make up today, so these are your your mining applications, your staking applications, so all that short-term income, all the airdrops that people experience on a recurring basis all the net capital gains that they get um, or receiving an income and applying something at, at fair market value. I think all of that is, is fairly straightforward. We might be missing um, very formal guidance, but, but it doesn't mean that the standards aren't there. We do have, you know, draft guidance. I know the AICPA has a ton of, you know, leadership groups and has put out a ton of perspectives. Um, even uh, a lot of our regulators or government agencies in the U S like the IRS with its FAQs, have matured a lot since, for example, two years ago that define a lot of these things. Uh, So I'd say there's a lot of work to go, but the the basics, and I think the basic foundation is there. Um, However, with that said, it's still something that we explain even as part of our very basic sales pitch uh, almost every single time. So I, I think there's a lot more education to go, but the good news is, is yeah, a lot of those basic functions, most of the standard setters agree on, on how we should address them. So one of the things that's interesting to me is that we're going to digitize the assets. Then there's this element of decentralization, and then ultimately we'll get automation out of it, right? Where uh, people can interact with protocols, machines can transact with other machines, um, and there ends up being uh, just a more efficient automated system. 
Is there a world where we eventually get to the software, whether you guys are building or other people's software, that can essentially do a lot of the accounting functions um, and, and kind of what I'll consider operations or middle or back office in that same automated way so that you're not settling the books at the end of the month, you're actually doing it in a minute by minute or hour by hour basis. Um, and, and there's kind of a more real time aspect to a lot of the flow of funds and the financial metrics. Absolutely. We do same day nav. We announced that in the press over a year ago with hashtags. So they currently have one of their funds that strikes nav every single day. And that's because we worked with them uh, maybe you know a little over a month to sort out some of the processes to make sure that their data flowed in and that we could accommodate that. Um, it gets much more complex, the larger the portfolio and really where your trading activity gets into, you know, mixed derivatives into it, mixed DeFi and Uniswaps and all these new things that are coming out, makes it more complex. So we still have to figure those out. But there's absolutely a path forward to automate the majority of those processes, or at a minimum highlight where there isn't automation and potentially replace them for the interim until until we build you know more advanced features on a case by case. But there's a, a lot of that. I, I will say a ton of this data is I'd say probably over 95% of the data that we intake for our customers. And we have over 160 funds that, that are managed in our software today, uh, pure crypto funds, um, is uh, most of that data is not off chain. So it is from privately held centralized databases. So like that you would you know get over a Coinbase API or a Kraken API or, or whatnot. So a big portion of it is, uh, is not on chain data for sure. Yeah, walk through some of the challenges with DeFi. You mentioned that there are challenges, but maybe just elaborate on one or two of those that you guys are actively dealing with. It's really the same thing that I just mentioned is traditionally when someone chooses a liquidity provider and that liquidity provider has their data that a customer can get over an API, in DeFi that doesn't always exist. There isn't always a business that they're interacting with, or if there is, they're not necessarily recording the data, the data sets centralized, they're facilitating the exchange of it. And this depends on the, you know, the product and, and what specific process. So I'd say with DeFi, we are dealing with a lot more on-chain data. And whenever you're dealing with on-chain data, you're missing elements that people take for granted. You know, there's not going to be a U.S. dollar value associated with it usually. Um, and so some of those very simple things we have to fill in using some other techniques, all definitely solvable. Uh, but some of the data isn't as readily available and it's often much more incomplete than we need in order to satisfy some of those reporting requirements. Got it. And then maybe we could talk a little bit just about this idea that um, you've previously said a lot of what we're talking about today was in the innovation labs inside these organizations, especially the large corporations. Um, but now it's actually moving and starting to hit the business unit. So we're moving from more of an R&D type thing, more to an application on a day-to-day -day basis. What are you seeing there and how do you think about that transition? Sure. I think that's the, the natural evolution of the, the traditional financial institutions adopting, adopting something that's, that's this material, right, for their, for their businesses. I mean, a lot of the things that's going on in the crypto industry that the crypto native ecosystem has been doing for, you know, you could argue a decade, probably materially, maybe the last five years. And, and as these traditional financial services companies are, are coming in, they're reading a lot of the technical white papers. They've got innovation labs that are exploring a lot of things. I think the biggest thing, and this is advice that I give to any of the, the larger financial institutions that I speak to, is to don't look as much at the underlying technology, look at the ecosystem, because that's where 
that that's really what we're, we're seeing a, a lot of innovation as well. And, um, and that's what I think if affects the, the overall markets and how people exchange these assets today, that's different from what they're used to seeing in the securities or FX markets or, you know, whatever market you want to compare it to. Yeah. It's fascinating to me how um, kind of quickly this is all evolving and how quickly we're going from, uh, oh, there's this cute thing in the crypto blockchain space to now, wait, we actually may be able to implement this in our uh, everyday business. And it actually, in some weird way, feels like that's accelerating. Is that fair from kind of your perspective? Absolutely. We, we've been waiting for what is happening right now before our eyes for several years. We didn't, we've been pre- preparing for it. We didn't know when it was going to happen specifically. We were all hoping it was going to happen soon. Um, but it is kind of a domino effect. I mean, even by Luca's partnerships that we've, we've announced with State Street leading our Series C um, this past winter and uh, partnerships with companies like S&P, IHS Market, um, we have partnership with CPA.com. I mean, those are all your traditional logos that are, you know, play a big, very big roles in the traditional financial services ecosystem. And now some of the traditional funds, for example, get to use the, the, the name brands that they're used to seeing already um, to provide them services as they're adding crypto to their portfolios. And as I don't have to tell you in, in the press, it seems like multiple times a day we see someone is buying, you know, hundreds of millions of, of Bitcoin or, or some other crypto asset. We know it's Bitcoin today. I'm sure that'll that'll work its way down to the other cryptocurrencies over the course of this next year. But um, but uh, yeah, very, very exciting. And then it's whether it's all the regulation, like what the OCC has been putting out lately. I mean, allowing the custody of, of assets, you know, comparing what we're doing in crypto to things um, like like Fedwire and and uh, and whatnot is is really really exciting. You mentioned a couple of big milestones that you've experienced lately. Let's maybe talk about the fundraise first. Uh, you raised capital. My understanding is from State Street, uh, CPA.com, and a couple of others uh, that maybe aren't considered your traditional venture capitalists, but are very critical to uh, what you're building and and uh, kind of the industry you're going after. Talk through just the the partners in that fundraise, what the capital is going to be used for, and and why select those to uh, to partner with. Sure. So, you know, all of we named in, in the press, State Street, uh, CPA.com, who we'd already been partnered with for, for over a year. And we go to market with them um, for our Luca Tax for Professionals product and then S&P. And all of those we were talking to um, in commercial relationship capacities before investments. And we were raising our Series C last year. Uh, so our, you know, those big partnerships are, are natural companies to speak to. And so we wanted to focus on that, um, particularly in our press release, because we thought it would help the industry and help with some of the adoption. Um, and uh, and then from there, we do we do have other investors um, that were involved in the rounds that we didn't name that that aren't part of commercial relationships. But the use of the capital, honestly, is just to further improve our products. We've already built our products. We're on the third generation. We're actually just launching. Um, some of them more publicly over the course of the next couple of weeks in advance of tax season and, and, uh, um, and, uh, but they're not all tax focused products. I mean, we do have the next generation of our institutional software that we're putting out. Um, we plan on improving it to add all the features that our customers are asking for related to DeFi very, very quickly so that they can start using them right away and benefit from their, their back offices being organized as they're adopting some of these new financial products. Um, and, uh, and then continuing to um, scale, our, scale our footprints 
Um, so it's pretty, honestly, the use of the capital is, is pretty basic. It's just the, to, to expand our business, continue to execute and, uh, and support our customers with features. You, you don't happen to want to name the uh, people you didn't name previously right now, do you? Um, not right now, but we will probably, uh, it, soon in the press. So just so that I don't, uh, prematurely, you know, share, share some of that. So we will be doing it. Um, but we're just going to be doing it here and here in the new future that we've already, uh, that we're already working on a strategy around. No problem. I, I didn't expect you to, but I got to ask. Uh, an, another part uh, that you've done and announced publicly is this partnership with the S&P. Um, and there's some indexes and some other work. Maybe talk a little bit just about uh, kind of that relationship specifically and some of the stuff that you publicly announced. So we are providing our Luca reference data and Luca Prime, among, among other data products to S&P to support them as they create their indices um, for crypto. Uh, they haven't announced specifically what, what the indices will be yet, but that there will be several of them. Um, they're going to be coming out very soon here, um, which we're very, very excited about. And, uh, and we're hoping that this is just the, the beginning of, of our relationship with them. They're uh, a, a great logo that we know is very, very trusted. And, uh, and that's a big part of our relationship is making sure that the data quality of our products can serve the companies like S&P and all of our other customers and meet those traditional institutional standards so that they can continue doing what they're doing, um, but hopefully with, with crypto assets involved in a much more material way. Got it. And would it be fair to say that majority, if not all of the business for you is really B2B, uh, whether you're going B2B and providing software to those middle and back offices, uh, or you're providing these data feeds and, and kind of reference data to somebody like an S&P, and then they may go B2C. So that's more of like a B2B2C type model. Uh, or do you actually have direct touch points with retail and any of the products? Really all of the above now. So a couple of examples. And our foundation, to be clear, is absolutely B2B. Right, we we cater to our institutions. A lot of the biggest the, the biggest uh, logos in the crypto industry, and, and you know are now starting to see the the traditional side of things enter. But additionally, so for example, with our CP.com partnership, that's more of a B two B to C. So we built a product for them to to sell to or license to CPA firms who are supporting their clients. So that's an example of our B two B to C. Um, we have in a pre-launch mode, and, and we'll be announcing it very soon here in the next week, a free portfolio management tool that is a consumer product that's absolutely free, um, which we believe will help support the industry. And there's some very inexpensive tax add-ons. Um, so if they need to do tax reporting on top of that, it'll be uh, extremely cost-effective for the retail. So in that example, we are going direct B2C. Um, and, uh, and we'll continue to build those out, but really it's all with the same standards that B2B requires, which is a, a big part of our strategy. It's part of our culture. We built to our AICPA SOC controls and all the standards that the institutions rely on. We want consumers in the retail markets to benefit from as well. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense too, I guess, like once you get the B2B uh, relationships and you're really able to establish yourself, uh, both from a product standpoint and accuracy, uh, a, a resiliency and and, um, and also kind of this validation to then move kind of downstream into the retail market as well. Is that generally how you're thinking about it? Perfectly said. That's that's exactly exactly what we intend to do. There are There's a ton of innovation that goes on in the crypto industry. And so you get a ton of startups a ton of companies that are doing great things. Um, however, 
when we start doing things to institutional standards, it becomes much more challenging. It's much more costly. I mean, even just our annual audit costs to maintain our AICPA SOC standards are higher than a traditional startup would be, without a doubt. Um, but that's what's required in order to build that quality of a product. And so um, the standards that we support there are a big part of our value prop, a big part of our marketing campaigns and everything that we do. And it's honestly one of the challenging things too, because people think because they're selling you something that the calculations are correct, but I can tell you that they're not. Um, and, uh, and, and we want to make sure that we can put products out there that, that people can trust and that are accurate and that they can support and that they're very comfortable using when they're filing their taxes or doing any of those other things that could potentially put them at risk if they get it wrong. Absolutely. I got to ask, uh, for somebody who was a, a helicopter pilot in the Marines to, uh, to running, uh, this business, what are some of the similarities and uh, also some of the biggest differences, uh, between those two jobs? Sure. That's a great question. You know, at, at the end of the day, both of them just come down to, to problem solving and, uh, same thing I was doing at PwC. Um, and that, you know, consultants, the ones that you can, that you can trust and that you rely on, you know, in the normal course of your business, um, are helping you there to, to solve the most challenging problems, um, or to improve processes. And that's exactly what we're doing at Luca is we're taking what is a very complex problem at the end of the day. And we're trying to make it as simple as possible, um, for our customers and, uh, and making sure that we focus on, on their needs first, you know, same thing as a helicopter pilot, you know, our, our customer was different in that case, it was the, you know, the ground troops or the infantry or, um, anyone on the grounds that we're supporting. Um, it's a, it's the same, same premise here is we're, we're solving problems so that they can rely on us. So we're in a, I consider our company to be in a support position to other companies, businesses. For sure. Before we move into the uh, uh, kind of lightning round to finish up, uh, I just want to zoom out a little bit. And you guys obviously have built a great business. Uh, there's a lot of uh, commercial partners and customers that uh, trust you on a day-to-day -day basis uh, really to run their business and, and kind of uh, fulfill that support position you just described. Where are we going? Right. When we start thinking about digital assets, decentralized protocols, kind of this automated financial system, from your perspective, how does the business evolve and, and kind of what role can you guys eventually uh, kind of uh, move into and serve for the industry as it you know, not only brings in kind of more adoption, both in the institutional and retail space, but also different types of assets, different types of mechanisms um, and, and kind of really moves to digitize most of the legacy financial system. So, I mean, as, as this, our industry is moving fast right now, and particularly in the last six months, I like to say that it's, that it's picked up a lot here, which is exciting to see. And I usually resist a little bit when people say, hey, this is a new asset class or things like that. You know, this is, this is a new technology that can change the way that all assets are managed globally, potentially in the future. And when or if that happens, I don't know. I think that Asset management and asset exchange can benefit from this technology. And when I say technology, I don't mean just blockchain, but it's the way that the ecosystem is exchanging these assets. I mean, if we can create new ways to access assets across borders and increase the liquidity of those assets and allow people to exchange them for one another in a marketplace, that's very, very exciting. I mean, you can apply it to real estate, debt, um, I mean, you know, anything that's a, that has a store of value associated with it. 
and ultimately create a marketplace that exchanges these assets in a new way compared to what we've seen before. Now that makes some of these back office operations more challenging. So that's where Luca comes into the picture and we plan on, you know, stay bleeding edge um, for the middle and back office operations space so that the innovators can keep innovating and, uh, and, and creating a new way that ideally assets are exchanged globally in, in the future. Um, so that's, that's really the future that, that we see. We know we're seeing it in a very, very material way today um, already, um, but it's got a long way to go clearly, right? In the, in, in the, the larger ecosystem. For sure. Uh, three questions that I ask everyone, and then you'll get to ask me one question to uh, to finish up. The first is, what is the most important book that you've ever read? Great question. Um, so my first reaction here is uh, Gates of Fire, which is uh, about the, the uh, Battle of Thermopylae in the, in the 300, which I know everyone's seen the movie, but it doesn't do justice to this book. Um, and it's just an you know, an example of uh, setting the right examples of leadership, of standard setting um, that really fits into the overall culture of an organization. That's a great answer. Uh, second question is a question that's sponsored by Eight Sleep. They basically have a thermoregulation mattress that makes it super cold. Uh, I previously uh, was not into sleep. I used to fly around the country a bunch and basically uh, beat up my body. And these guys convinced me, hey, you probably should sleep eight hours. Uh, and this helps you basically sleep in a much deeper, kind of more plentiful way. What's your sleep uh, kind of regiment or has anything changed over the years, especially going from the military uh, to PwC and, and now here, uh, anything that you've kind of changed over time? Yes, I sleep less, I think, um, is the short Really? Answer. I thought that I would get used to sleeping less from the Marine Corps. Uh -huh. uh, and I think it just made me miss sleep more instead. Um, but I've gotten used to acclimating to it. But I think that the bigger takeaway, kind of like you hit it on the, dead, on, on the head for your sponsor, um, that should be a short term, right? Learn how to manage it, but you, you can never replace actual sleep. So I'll have to, uh, I'll have to check out this mattress because, um, how, I absolutely could benefit from it. How many hours do you think you sleep a night? Uh, probably I'm averaging five now. I'm, I'm usually happy if I can get six to seven. So never, okay. con never continuously, but <laughs> Yeah. And uh, the one uh, variable is always, uh, I see a trampoline in the background. So I'm assuming you have young children who, yep. uh, who probably are uh, not making this easy for you. No, that, that's definitely a challenge. I think they, they help and uh, um, they, they help keep the focus though, for, for sure. So but <laughs> they don't necessarily help sleep. <laughs> I love it. Uh, last question, a little bit more fun. Aliens, are you a believer or a non-believer? I, I don't see how there there could be a universe that big without them, I think. So I break it down to statistics when I do that, which is usually the way that I that I approach answers like that. So if I had to if I had to go one way or the other, I would say yes, I believe that they are out there somewhere. Yeah. So and maybe the uh the NASA astronauts that are gonna venture to Mars will will prove us right in some capacity soon. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree that they're somewhere. I don't know if I believe that they've come to Earth and uh, haven't revealed themselves or anything crazy like that. But, uh, right. but definitely I don't know if they have arms and legs or eyes, but I think there's something <laughs> out there. Right. I love it. You could ask me one question to wrap up. What do you got for me? Sure. I'd say, um, you know, where, uh, 
What do you think is going to be the, the biggest milestone in crypto in 2021 specifically? 2021, um, I think we see a Fortune 50 company put uh, Bitcoin on their balance sheet, or at least Fortune 100. Um, you know, I, I don't know which one necessarily. Uh, we're recording this kind of mid-January 2021. Uh, if you said to me right now, what's the next big public company to do it? It's probably Tesla. Um, but if you said to me, you know, pick one that is uh, kind of nobody would expect, I'm not sure I could do that. Uh, but definitely somebody does it, uh, or at least that would kind of be the, the big uh, milestone. And then once you get kind of all the corporations starting to do it in some form or fashion, uh, I think then the next one is just like, what's the first central bank Mm -hmm. To not only do it, but to do it and uh, and kind of publicize it, right? You know, some people would argue, hey, look, somebody probably has already done it. Uh, but to really come out and say, hey, look, we're doing this. Here's our, our thesis behind doing it. And, and uh, we're committed to this, I think would be, you know, kind of you went from uh, retail investors to kind of now you got these institutional financial service companies. Uh, you'll then get, you know, more traditional uh, corporations, publicly traded companies, and then eventually you'll get the central banks. Um, so those are kind of the next two milestones, but I, I don't foresee a, a central bank making that move in 2021. Sure. I'd buy that. All right, man. Well, Robert, listen, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or find out more about Luca? Uh, sure. So uh, Luca.tech um, is where you can find our website and you can find all of our social, social, social outlets there as well for our various products, depending on what type of customer you are. And that's uh, L-U-K-K-A.tech. Awesome. And uh, anywhere to send them to find you? I am actually not on social media, just uh, just with the company. Yeah. I love it. That That is uh, that's an easy way to make sure everyone goes to the uh, company website. Absolutely. That's, that's <laughs> better than going to my personal one anyway. All right, man. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, Robert. We'll have to do it again in the future. Yeah. Happy to come back anytime. Thanks for having me.